Hey, you're listening to the Love Fiercely podcast. My name is Keila Craft Ambrose. This is a place to grow, be inspired, and to go deeper in the things of God. I hope you enjoy this episode. The title of my message tonight is Take It Back. I think all of us, we go through things in our life that make us shut down, um, that make us feel empty, that make us feel frustrated, that make us deal with hurt and pain. And you know, we all have issues at different times being vulnerable. That's that emotion word I'm talking about. We have a hard time being vulnerable at times, whether it's because of like your experience whenever you're in school or when you were in school or with friends or family or relationships or job or just experiences we have, there can be triggers that make you wanna not be vulnerable? Has anyone ever like hit a trigger somewhere and you're like, I don't wanna be vulnerable right now. I don't wanna be open. For those of you that don't ever feel that way, can you teach me lessons? Cause I have that a lot. <laughs> but I'm gonna talk really real tonight. That's what I love to do is I love to just be real about stuff because you know, we're all, like the Bible talks about pressing toward the goal and we're not gonna necessarily reach the mark because we're imperfect humans until basically Jesus comes back. So if you have failed before, welcome to a room of other people who have also failed before. And we're trying to grow and we're trying to be better and we're trying to be our best. But I think it's really important to understand that sometimes, a lot of times we don't realize is where we feel those, um, those weird places in our life where we don't wanna be open or we don't wanna be vulnerable. It's a lot of times because we've given the best part of ourselves to the wrong person. And we realize why, we don't even realize why things haven't worked out, but it's because we've given the best part of ourselves to someone who can't handle the best part of ourselves. And so, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen like a $100 bill, but you guys have maybe, you guys have maybe heard this analogy before or heard of this before, but you know, like this is worth how much money? $100. Okay. Um, now, if I was to just crumble this, how much is, how much is it worth? Okay, if I was going to lick it. How much is it worth? It might be worth more now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But what if I just ripped it? Could we make this still be worth $100? Would you take it? And use it? Okay, you can't because it's paper. Um, it's a printed off dollar bill, $100 bill. <laughs> because I think it's actually a felony to rip $100 bills in half. Um, any money like that, I think it's not good. Okay, well, let me just tell you something because nothing that you've gone through and no condition can take away your value. No person can take away your value. So when you start to feel those things, and feelings aren't cool all the time, like... Just yesterday, I was having a lot of feelings, and I was like, I don't want to have these feelings, so I'm not going to talk anymore. And that's not necessarily good. But a lot of times, we can reach these points where we feel vulnerable or we feel exposed, and instead of looking at the reason why and trying to understand it, we just push away from it and avoid it. And we've all done that at some point in our life, whether it's because you feel ashamed, whether it's because someone's left you, hurt you, stabbed you in your back, whatever it is. And you know what happens, though, in our life is sometimes because of that thing, because of that person, we allow it to affect how we look at ourselves eventually. 
Because if we couldn't make it work with that person or that person didn't love me, then maybe I'm not valuable enough. If that person's not treating me right or if I can't seem to find the right job, person, relationship, door, whatever, or if I don't feel like maybe God's blessing me, maybe God doesn't love me. If I don't love myself, how can God love me? And we start going through all these thought processes that might not even be founded in truth, but they're founded in our experience and somehow that becomes our truth. And so I wanted to give you a thought process on vulnerability because vulnerability actually signifies value. Valuable things are usually vulnerable. If you think about it, thieves do not break into empty houses. They're not trying to steal nothing. They're looking for the goods. They're looking for the things that are hidden away, the things that are shiny, the things that are like screens and digital things. And they're looking for things that are good, something that they can resell or that's of value. And if you didn't have anything good, you'd be left alone by the enemy. And I think sometimes an attack from the enemy can actually be a compliment pointing towards what God's placed inside of you. But what we have to be careful of is that we're not being a bad steward of our heart and a bad steward of our life and giving away our value to people and things that don't matter. Because you are valuable. God created you as valuable. But if you never are able to see how God sees you, you'll never see yourself how God sees you. And you'll give your value away to people who can never value you. People who can never see you the way God sees you. And so, you know, the devil is actually intimidated. This actually, this thought came to me because I was thinking about how I just get really tired of, like, for real, like, attacks from the enemy. I get really tired of them. And I was just in, I think I was in a worship setting at one point, and I was like, just thinking to myself, I wasn't even talking out loud, but I was thinking to myself, I was like, God, why? Like, why does the enemy freaking attack you? Like, why? Like, when you're trying to do the right thing, like, not even when you're messing up, like, when you're trying to do the right thing, when you're trying to make the right decision, when you're coming to young adults, when you're coming to church, you're trying to serve, you're trying to be in the right relationships, why does the enemy attack us? Why does he do that? Well, first of all, what we have to realize is he has no authority in our life, so in some way we're giving him authority. But second of all, the enemy is intimidated by your intimacy with God. So he wants to keep you at a distance from God so you cannot understand the authority you have. Because if you don't understand the authority you have, he can continue to mess with you. If you don't understand that you can shut that door, that you can literally like tell him he needs to go back to where he belongs, if you don't understand that you have authority as a child of God, he will continually and continually be able to keep messing with you. But the thing is, I think, like I said earlier, we have to understand the difference between when we're getting ourselves into a bad situation and when there are attacks from the enemy because there's those two different scenarios. And I think with both of those scenarios, though, we can be more wise, but we have to look at what is the issue, what is actually going on. And, you know, if the devil's intimidated by our intimacy, like, think about what is it about intimacy that he would be intimidated by? Well, at one point, he was very close to God. At one point, the enemy was the main worship leader in heaven. He doesn't get to be close to God anymore. He doesn't get to be used by God anymore in the ways that we can be used by God. The cool thing is that the enemy is still used by God even if he likes it or not because God turns everything into good things if we let him, right? But, so he has actually no no ability to change that, but he doesn't get to have that closeness with God and he's jealous, He's jealous of the power that you have because whether or not you realize it, you're more powerful than the enemy because you have the power of God inside of you. 
So no sickness, no hurt, nothing that would try to get you to shut down can actually stand against the God inside of you. You on your own don't have the power, but when you realize the power of God inside of you, it freaks the enemy out. Because he's like, oh no, oh no, I'm about to have no authority. I'm about to not even have a way in. And he start, what does he start doing? He starts picking where you're insecure. He starts bringing back the ex-boyfriend, the ex-girlfriend, trying any way these desperate attempts to try to get you back, to try to get you into that place where you're feeling insecure, where your vulnerability is not placed in the right places so that you don't see your value. Because what happens, isn't it funny how exes can come back into your mind, if not in your life, and you remember what they said about you. You remember what, how they treated you. You remember maybe even wrong things you did in that relationship or things you could have done better, and somehow it's affecting you now. And what I'll tell you is anytime that kind of stuff happens, there is some biblical references to this, and they're not contextually exact based on what I'm saying, but it makes me think of the scripture that don't, first of all, don't cast your pearls before swine. And also, like, talks about, I'm paraphrasing, that a dog returns to its vomit. I don't know if you've ever seen that happen. My dogs tend to vomit and try to eat it. And if you ever want to get back with your ex that God actually let you be removed from, just remember that picture. <laughs> because that's, that's pretty much what it's like you're doing. And it can be complicated because you gave them vulnerable parts of you, which are valuable. And somehow you think because that person knows you, that person knows you're good, knows you're bad, that maybe it's, like, it's weird how we do this. Maybe it's not worth it to try so hard again because they already know me. Like, they already know how I am. They already know how I operate. And I don't even have to work for it. What kind of thought process is that? Okay, I'll get back to that in a second. Okay, so Pastor Keith always says this thing. He says, into me see. That's what intimacy is. You let God see everything. Newsflash, he sees everything already. <laughs> but we have to get to the place where we go, God, I am open to you. I want to be open to you. So if, he, if God is love and he's the originator of love, how is it that we think we're going to have good love without God who is love? If you don't have love, you don't know God. That's what the Bible says. So how, how is it in the world that we all, like, I can't tell you how many young people I talk to, and they say, I just can't wait till I find my significant other. I can't wait till I'm married one day. I can't wait till I have a boyfriend. I can't wait till I have a girlfriend. I've been married twice, and what I'll tell you is, is that marriage and relationships are not easy. So if you're ready to do a lot of work, then get ready for God to bring a relationship in your life. But you better be ready and you better be the person that can attract the person that you want in your head because you don't attract what you want. You attract where you are. And if you're attracting dysfunction, that's not because just that person's dysfunctional. That's because you're dysfunctional and you're attracting dysfunction. So if you're not ready to attract your dream guy or your dream girl, take a step back and let God work on you and be vulnerable with God, be intimate with God so he can make you ready for that person that's your dream person. Because one day you're going to wake up and you're going to find yourself in a place like a conversation I had with somebody this last week. And they said, what do I do when I've married someone who's not God's best for me? Can they become God's best for me? You don't want to be in that kind of situation where you know you settled for less than God's best and you're spending the rest of your life in a covenant that God wants to make best, but now the other person has to choose it and you have to choose it and you have this feeling inside of you that there's a deficit. You don't want to be in that kind of place. You want to think that you took it a level up, not that you settled down. 
I don't know why people say that. We settled down. Uh, we took it up. Like, <laughs> I don't know another way we can say that. But all I have to say is, like, our intimacy, what that means, it means inmost, innermost, deepest, marked by emotional closeness. But the whole point is that God sees you, but do you let him use what's in you? So God already sees what's in you, but if you're not open enough to let him use what's in you, you're not intimate. If you're still holding those things back because you think they're dark, you think they're ugly, you think you've messed up too much, you don't understand the love of God because his love is bigger than your mistakes. His love is bigger than your mess ups. His love is bigger than any deficit or deficiency that you might have. I suck at love. That's why I have to get closer to God. That's why I have to spend time with God. That's why I have to get his definition of love because on my own, I'm not good at loving because I am not love, I am Kila. And I might want love and I might like love in my life, but I'm not good at love on my own. I need God's help. And you're never gonna be able to be intimate with a spouse or intimate with, a, with any kind of relationship you have, friendship, whatever, if you don't understand how to be intimate with God. That's your practice. That's your practice to understand love. To be able to give love, you have to first be able to receive love. You have to be able to learn to be open with the person who created you, the person who gave you your breath, the person who cares about you more than anybody else, the person who's there when nobody else is there, when everyone else has left you, when other people have rejected you, the one person who believes in you no matter what and is gonna make a way for you. If you don't spend time with that one person, how the heck are you supposed to spend the rest of your life with somebody? So, so often we're worried about something simple like physical closeness. We're worried about the struggle between lust and having sex with people outside of marriage because we've not realized our value to the point to take it deeper than just a personal or selfish gratification that gratifies our flesh. We don't understand that vulnerability and closeness has nothing to do with touching skin. It doesn't. That's, that's the instant gratification piece that we want. But do you realize that's misguided and that is one area that the enemy will try to take you out in? It's not about that having sex before marriage is a sin. The Bible doesn't even say that. Hello. Some of you guys are like, what? No, it doesn't. But if you put something before God and your relationship with God, that is a sin. And if you're more worried about finding the gray area rather than loving God, there's a problem. And so much of our generation, we're looking for the gray area. Well, what can, where can I still go to heaven and do this, what, do what I want? You don't really care about a relationship with God if you're acting that way or thinking that way. Because what I'm trying to do in my life, and I'm not good at it yet, and I'm working on it. I'm 30, and I'm working on it still, is... I still mess up all the time. Even though I wanna do the right thing, even though I strive to do the right thing, I am human and that means I'm flawed because I'm flesh. But that doesn't mean that I'm out of the game because I mess up. That means I have to know who to go to when I do mess up, who to turn to, who to turn away from, and who to turn to so that I can be made right with God. Because it's not all about do's and don'ts with God. It's about relationship. And if you don't take the time to see God's perspective on something, you're going to walk around filled with shame, filled with regret, filled with disappointment, and God's just like, I want to love you. Can you give me those things so that I can love you, so that I can show you you are going to be loved? 
Like what I've found in my life, I haven't even freaking gotten to my notes. What I've found in my life is that like I've faced hardcore rejection. I've faced like feeling inadequate, feeling like I'm not enough, feeling like even when I give my best, I don't quite measure up. But you know the one person who never makes me feel that way is God. I can talk myself out of it. I can, I can tell myself I'm not good enough. Other people can tell me that. And you know what? It's true. Like on my own, I'm not worthy. But God is. And he loves me. And he loves you. And guess what? Where I'm weak, the Bible says, he's made strong. In my weakness, his power is made perfect. But I have to bring my weakness to him. So some of us tonight, we need to take back the value that we've given to other people, and we need to give it back to God. We need to take back our vulnerability that's messing us up in our relationships and in our life that we've misplaced our value in and give that back to God so that he can reframe it for us. Because if you've had sex before marriage, if you've had a baby out of wedlock, if you've been divorced, hey, I've been divorced too. But like, if you've been all these things that are stigmas in Christian culture, God does not care about any of that. Yes, he wants us to get our life right. Yes, he wants us to pursue him. Yes, he wants us to love him more than we want what we want. But more than that, he just wants to love you. He doesn't care about what disqualifies you. He cares about what qualifies you. And what qualifies you is that in one second you can say, I turn from that action that I've taken, and God, I want to be made right with you. Do you know the most jacked up person in the Bible was King David? But yet he's the guy that said he's the, the man after God's own heart. How is that? Like, do you realize, some of you guys might not know his full story. It's great. He was out in a pasture. He killed things, and he killed Goliath, and then whatever. He became king. Awesome. But then he also had affairs, murdered somebody, like lied, was, did a lot of terrible things. And his own sons turned against him. And a lot of other things I probably shouldn't say that happened that you can read it in the Bible because it would maybe offend some people. But a lot of terrible things happened in his life partly by his choice, and some of the things were seeds that came to harvest in his life later on. Like what a lot of people don't talk about is that his first son had to die. Like we all have seeds in our life that we've sown. And guess what? Sometimes good seeds come to harvest and also bad seeds come to harvest. The cool thing is that God can cover us. He can protect us. He can help us through those things and turn those things into good things. But we sow seed and those things come to harvest. And we can be a person after God's own heart and mess up, or we can just be a mess up. But you don't have to live life just looking at your mess ups. You can live life knowing, yeah, I've messed up. And I'm not just talking about sexual things. I just said those things because so many people get jacked up by that and they think, well, God can't use me. God can't ever give me a spouse. God can't ever do this, this, and that. Who said? Did he tell you that? That's not the God that I know. That's not the God that I've read. The God that I've read about is the same God who sent his son that literally took a person who was a harlot or a mujer de la noche, woman of the night, Spanish, with a white accent, and <laughs> took her and basically said, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. The person who, who and I'll, I'll tell you about this story in a second, but the person who took their perfume and washed his feet with their hair was someone who seemed unclean 
But yet it was the person he used, the woman that he used the most. So for some of us, what we don't realize is that number one, our vulnerability signifies value. Just because you're vulnerable and you don't like the way it feels doesn't mean it's not a good thing to be vulnerable. But you have to use your brain when you're vulnerable and your spirit because your heart was never meant to go to a person. It was meant to go to God. You realize like you can be married and God can have your heart and it doesn't matter what your spouse does because God has your heart. You can love somebody, you can be committed to somebody, but God has my heart before my husband. And that's the order of how things should be. If your priorities aren't that way, no wonder you're, you're wondering why things aren't working out. Your priorities are off. Vulnerability literally is defined capable or susceptible of being wounded or hurt. The cool thing is with God is that he'll never hurt you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never leave you. That's what the Bible says. And I've never once in my life felt like God didn't love me. I've questioned it. I've gone, God, where are you? Why would you let this happen? But in the end, I looked back and I realized he was so there. I just couldn't see it because I was so wrapped up in myself. And you know, we resist feeling vulnerable because we fear being hurt, rejected, or judged by those we want to love. But isn't it interesting that at the same time we make stupid decisions and give our heart to people who don't deserve it? We give our heart to people and God, our creator, doesn't even have it. But then we get mad at God when our heart gets broken and God's like, I didn't choose him or her, you did. And then we want God to make our relationship like his choice for us, but we didn't do it in God's timing or God's way. How is he going to work with that? I don't know because I don't know your situation, but I know that I've been there before. I've been like... God, make this work. We'll go to church sometimes together. I'll make sure he, taught, he believes in God. Do you realize that a man's supposed to be the spiritual leader of your household? If you're looking for somebody who kind of goes to church and doesn't really kind of have a job, that's a picture of what your life's going to look like. Women. Like, Women in our mind, like we want to be provided for and we want to be with someone who's like biblically sound that can lead us and like does devotionals and prays with us, right? But on two ends, okay, I'll give these examples because I can only speak for women because I'm a woman. But then we go for the guy who's really cute but's broke and like kind of believes in God and we're like, yes, he believes in God. Really? Does his life look like that? Uh, he, I mean, he comes on Sunday. He might be a little bit hungover, but like it's fine. Yeah, he's a bartender at a strip club. It's fine. He still comes to church. He has a job. And then on the other end, when we actually get a good guy, we're like, all he does is go to church. Oh, and then he's trying to tell me how to live my life? Like, he's like encouraging me and being like, God has great things for you. And I'm like, shut up. Like on one hand, we want something, but then when we get it, we're like, he's just too nice. <sighs> So when you shut down vulnerability, you shut down opportunity. If you're not going to be vulnerable with God, I don't know what he's going to be able to do. I'm sure he can do something because he's God. 
But if you're not going to give him everything you are, but you're going to go give that to a dude or a chick, I don't know how your life's going to look. But we do that. I've been there. That's why I'm saying this. I grew up in church, okay? And I have been so stupid with relationships. I've like found myself in relationships where I'm like, check, 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 kind of check, you know, like scribbling it in, writing it out, then scribbling it again. It's like, no, it's fine. On my checklist, you know? And then I realized the checklist doesn't really matter if God doesn't have my heart first. So the enemy wants you to stay weak and hurt so that your vulnerability is only seen as a weakness and not as a strength. He wants your past and future to be colored with heartaches and hurt so that you perpetuate hurt. But God wants you to be healed so that you do not hurt others, but instead you become a healer. To hear God, you have to be open. When you're open, you're vulnerable. But not to everyone or everything. You can be vulnerable and also be smart. A lot of our generation likes to like talk about like God's grace and I love God's grace and his mercy and it endures and it's wonderful. But your stupidity doesn't cover a multitude of sins. And somehow we think, well, I'm not perfect. I don't do all this perfect, but God's perfect. That's cool, but you have to also make smart decisions if you want to have a great life. God can do miracle after miracle after miracle, but when are you going to start being a miracle for people and not just waiting for a miracle? Like at this point in our lives, if you're in this young adult range, we shouldn't just be living our life waiting for God to do something for us. We should be living our life in such a way that we have blessing after blessing after blessing, and we're like, here, I, don't, I have too much. Do you want some of this? Like, oh, we have too many people in this young adult's room because God's just blessing everybody. And so we're going to have to move into the main sanctuary because just there's too many miracles and there's too many people. And I am just inviting too many people. There's like 100 people that came this week because of me. Like, I wonder what God could do with us and what God could do with our life if we actually lived it, not just for a paycheck, not just for a relationship, but actually for him. Like, I wonder what he could do. So when you're valuable, you are also three things. So when you are valuable, you are also three things. You are imperfect. You are worthy and you are powerful. So imperfection is a part of life. We find perfection sometimes in our life as an impossibility. Like there's different people that live their life as a perfectionist. And I think it's really unfortunate because I don't know if you know this, but perfectionism is actually correlated with depression, anxiety, addiction, and life paralysis or missed opportunities. Perfectionism is very different than self-improvement. Perfectionism is at its core about trying to earn approval. It's not about trying to do the right thing. And if you find yourself in that space, I want to ask you tonight to give that to God. I would say it has good intentions because you want to do the right thing. But what I want to remind you of is that if his power is made perfect in our weakness, if you're real about your weaknesses and you try to let God into those weaknesses, you're going to find that his perfection overwhelms what you can't do. And you don't have to make it perfect all the time. You don't have to put that stress on yourself. Because if you're a type of person that you really do want to do the right thing, you might fail, but you're going to get back up. You're going to keep going. You're not going to be like, well, you know, it's just, I've done too much. It's, it's been too much. 
I think we have to stop putting that pressure on ourselves and look to the love that's perfect and be sustained and base our vulnerability on his faithful and perfect love, not on what we can and can't do or who we can and can't trust. How is somebody ever going to see value in you if you can't see how God sees you? You know, the next thing is worthy and something that I used to do with my niece, her name's Layla, is when she was little, I taught her this thing where I would say, who's the prettiest? Who's the smartest? Who does Jesus love? And after every statement, she would go, me. I taught her like to hit herself and go, me, me. So who's the prettiest? Me. Who's the smartest? Me. And you know, I was doing that with her one day and it made me emotional because I thought, why can't I believe that about myself? Like, why is it so hard for me to believe that in the middle of my insignificance, in the middle of my mess ups, in the middle of what I'm not, that God still loves me, that he sees me exactly how I am and that he can celebrate me and that he can see good. He can see good in you tonight and not just good, he can see great things ahead of you. But we have to take those steps to go, God, I'm gonna give you what I'm not good at. I'm gonna give you what I'm not perfect at. I'm gonna give you everything and realize that I don't have to be worthy. I don't have to figure it all out. We want a sense of worthiness because we want to be enough. We want to be more than enough. But we look for that validation in people and not God. He's the only one that's worthy. We don't have to be. You know, shame is the opposite of being vulnerable. And so many of us in this room are walking around with it right now, and you might not even realize it. There is something about me when I have shame that will not connect I think that others aren't gonna accept me, that I'm not good enough, so I walk around disqualifying myself before I'm either, even in any kind of relationship, before I even connect, I'm disqualifying myself and saying, it's not gonna work, it's not gonna work, I'm not, I'm not good enough, that's not gonna happen, that job won't happen, this, we're gonna hit traffic, we're not gonna get the parking space. We walk around with this shame all over our life, and it might be about something specific, but then it starts to cover our whole life, and we start walking around with the authority of shame instead of the authority of understanding that we're worthy because he's worthy not because we're perfect not because we're good enough vulnerability at the at its core is the birthplace of joy and creativity and love and belonging and you know we have blame in our lives and shame because we try to cast off the the fact that we've put our vulnerability and our value in the wrong things we minimize the effect that we have on others and we maximize the effect that others have on us. We look at, well, what have you done for me lately, God? What have you done for me lately, so-and-so? And that's a natural way that we can think. But God wants us to understand that we're powerful. So we have to stop listening to the facts of our situation and start beginning to speak God's truth over it. You know, some of us have heard or even said, I'm just waiting to find my other half. Do you know that's not the way God intended it to be? He intended for you to be whole. That one whole person meets another whole person and you become unified in a covenant. Not I'm half of a person and you're meeting me halfway. If you've ever been in any kind of relationship and especially in marriage, you'll know it's not 50-50, it's 100-100. And your 100 might look different than my 100, but you have to give 100 on your part. Otherwise, it's really not gonna work out in the end. 
And someone else might want your hundred to be their hundred, but you have your thing that you are, you've, given, you've been given authority over and they have their thing. And God's truth doesn't change, but we need to. I'm gonna tell you just really quickly and end on this story because our power is in our response to things. You know, there was a story of a young woman. She went to her mother and she told her about her life and how things were so hard for her. She didn't know how she was going to make it, and she wanted to give up. She was tired of fighting and struggling, and it seemed as if one problem was solved, a new one was coming up. Her mother took her to the kitchen. She filled up three pots with water. In the first, she placed carrots. In the second, she placed eggs. And in the last, she placed ground coffee beans. She let them sit and boil without saying a word. In about 20 minutes, she turned off all the burners. She fished the carrots out and placed them in a bowl. She pulled the eggs out and placed them in a bowl. She ladled the coffee into a bowl. And turning to her daughter, she asked, tell me what you see. The daughter says what I would have said, carrots, eggs, and coffee. She brought her closer and asked her to feel the carrots. She did and noted that they were soft. She then asked her to take an egg and break it. After pulling off the shell, she observed a hard-boiled egg. Finally, she asked her to sip the coffee. The daughter smiled and she tasted its rich aroma. The daughter then asked, what is the point of all this, mom? Her mother explained that each one of these objects had faced the same adversity, boiling water, but each reacted differently. The carrot went in strong, hard, and unrelenting. However, after being subjected to the boiling water, it softened and became weak. The egg had been fragile. Its thin outer shell had protected its liquid interior, but after being through the boiling water, its inside became hardened. The ground coffee beans were unique, however. After they were in the boiling water, they had changed the atmosphere that they were in. Which are you, she asked the daughter. When adversity knocks on your door, how do you respond? Are you a carrot, an egg, or a coffee bean? So think of this. Which are you today? Are you the carrot that seems strong, but with pain and adversity, adversity you wilt and become soft and lose your strength? Or are you the egg that starts out with a soft heart, but it changes with the heat? Does your shell look the same, but on the inside you're bitter and tough with a stiff spirit and a hardened heart? Or are you like the coffee bean? The bean actually changes the hot water in the very circumstance that brings the pain. When the water gets hot, it releases a fragrance and a flavor. If you are like the bean, when things are at their worst, you get better and you change the situation around you. I wanna challenge you today because this is something that I struggle with. When life hits me, when situations come at me, I don't wanna be soft and weak and be destroyed because I have a God who's stronger than anything. And I don't wanna get tough and, and, and be so rough and have all these walls up that I really, I don't even have like the original intent of how I was created. I wanna be the kind of person that you put me in something, I face something and I make it better. I make it useful. I bring energy, cause that's what coffee does, right? And you might not like coffee today, but hopefully you get the analogy but some of us today, we've let our circumstances, we've let our vulnerability become something that's negative. And I'm, I'm here with you because I'm still working on stuff. But I wanna put my vulnerability in God's hands. I want God to have my heart. No, no past friendships, no past relationships, no past hurts, no past situations. I wanna get my relationship with God right so that what flows out of me is healthy and healing and not hurt. And so that's gonna take us 
really being real in this situation and saying, God, I want you to have what I'm not good at, what I am good at, and I want you to use it. I want to be open. And so tonight, if you are like me tonight, and you're saying, I need to give some stuff to God so that I can see my value for what it is, so that I can give my heart to the right person because I want to love somebody one day. I want to be a person who understands how God loves me. Then all I want you to do is, you don't have to close your eyes, but I just want you to open up your hands like you're receiving something. And with me, I just want you to say, God, everyone say that, that means it. Say, God, take my heart. Take my mind, take my experiences. I give you authority. I don't give my thoughts authority. I don't give my emotions authority. I don't give any part of myself authority. I give you the authority. Take my heart, take my mind. I want to be close to you, God. And God, I thank you for every single person that did that tonight. That the enemy would have no authority in their life. That in Jesus' name, in this moment, that you would be the healer. That you would come in and you would heal hearts, heal minds. That God, they would know that you are for them. That you love them right where they're at. They don't have to get it all right tonight. But God, they can turn to you and that's the start. God, it's just the start to turn it over and say, I want you to have these things. And God, then the work begins. But you're going to give us the strength to do it. You're going to give us the power and the awareness to do it. And God, I thank you that no plans of the enemy are going to stand. God, no power of the enemy can stand. God, no anxiety, no depression, no darkness, nothing that would try to overtake us can stand in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that as they understand your love, that they're going to become people who love others. That they're not going to be worried about God, what we physically want or what we want in the flesh or where the gray area is. But God, we would look to you, that we would follow you, that we would take back those things that we have given out and we would give them back to you, God. That we would take it back, not for ourselves and not to hold it in and not to put walls up. But God, we take it back to give it away to the right person. So tonight, God, we give those things to you and we leave them in your hands because you're the best and safest place. So God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Love Fiercely podcast. I would love for you to subscribe to personally receive weekly encouragement. Also, check out my blog at keelacraftambrose.com for monthly content. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at keelacraftambrose.com.